Today, I'm talking with Michelle Holland from Synergy IQ. Michelle is a culture and leadership specialist, a business transformation and executive coach. Uh, Today, Michelle and I deep dive on all things Brené Brown, vulnerability and showing up in this new way of leadership. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go. Uh, Hello and welcome. I am so excited to have a very special guest on today. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on to the Made For More podcast. Thank you, Ali. I'm very excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, so thanks. Me too. So uh, you and I actually met uh, in real life probably nearly 12 months ago Oops, at a a conference. Those were the good old days. Um, But we bonded over some Brene Brown, some of Brene Brown's work. We're both really uh, passionate about the work that she does. But before we get too far into that, what I would love to know is, you know, where did you come from and uh, where are you going? Yeah, sure. So where did I come from? So that's uh, quite, I'll, I'll try and truncate the, uh, <laughs> the, the life journey. Uh, so my, my professional journey actually started in, in the finance world, funnily enough. We've got a, a similar, similar story we there. Do, yeah. yeah. So I was an accountant, trained accountant and uh, went into an organization and did that for a little while and then really discovered that numbers just weren't my thing. I just, I couldn't get passionate enough about getting to the zero at the end. I just (laughs) couldn't get passionate about it. So, you know, and I remember having a couple of conversations with, uh, you know, accountants that I was working with and, uh, you know, saying, oh, you know, yeah, kind of out, but 20% or 20 cents, you know, that's fine, isn't it? And they would have an absolute breakdown about the 20 cents, you know, oh my goodness, it could be that there's this out and that out and da 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 And I'm like, yeah, I'm not passionate about this zero enough to be in accounting. Yeah. So, but what I was really passionate about and what I really loved was problem solving. So I love the problem solving part of it. And also I really enjoyed the, the strategic elements of finance. So I, I was in this organization and I was sort of thinking, oh, this isn't really for me, but what am I, where am I going to go? You know, what's next for me? And, and I was watching the HR manager across, you know, across the hallway and she was doing some really cool stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit interesting. And I went, ah, oh, you know, she gets to do, still do, does the board reports and some of the strategic stuff just in a different context. And she does problem solving, but it's in a different context. And plus she gets to do all this other really cool stuff. I wonder what that's like. So I decided that I would jump over <laughs> over the fence from finance to people. You crossed the corridor. Oh, <laughs> dear. Crossed the corridor. That's right. That's right. So I started studying in that and then managed to get a job at, um, at one of the universities here 
and uh, I got the job in payroll because I figured payroll was almost like that. It's got a foot in both camps. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a little bit in HR, a little bit in finance. So that was my sort of pathway in. And, and then, yeah, discovered my love for all things people problem solving. I think that's probably awesome. the way it is. Yeah. Sort of took me through that journey of, you know, some of the more traditional HR stuff. Less hiring and firing, though, much more in the organizational development area. I was doing a lot of work in that space and that's where I sort of followed my way through. I did do a stint for three years in uh, industrial relations and workplace relations because I thought that's what I would like, you know, because mm-hmm. I was a bit into legal stuff as well and, you know, that practical element. But I recognized really quickly that when we get the front end right, when we mm-hmm. get the leadership right, when we get the, the skills right, when we get the capabilities and the culture right, the team environment right, then you didn't need that industrial relations stuff as much. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of went, oh, I feel like I'm just slapping Band-Aids on all over the place and surely there's a way that we can stop all of this from happening. So, yeah, yeah I took my journey very much into strategic organisational excellence, really, looking at process review and uh, that sort of place. So I kind of dabbled in that for a while and then went into culture and discovered that actually culture kind of covers everything that I love to do. So that's the space. That's the space for me. So I, yeah, really formatted, I guess, my career in in the culture, business culture space, um, which encapsulates all of those other things. You know, it's it's about what's the structure. It's about what's going on, you know, in the business and are there efficiencies, are there effectiveness in the process and practice. So I can dabble in that and it's all about the leaders and it's about interactions and human behavior and et cetera. So, so that's kind of, you know, where I'm at now. So, you know, we've got Synergy IQ, which is our business and, and we specialize a lot in culture and helping leaders and, and transitioning through change, you know, et cetera. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I've landed. It's where I've been, where I've landed, where I'm going that is uh, a constant question in my mind. I still haven't got the answer of what I want to be when I grow up. It's just, <laughs> you know, I'm still waiting for that, you know, that to come. I think um, where I have landed, though, is I'm going to start uh, studying um, probably next year in anthropology. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, That's a different yeah, angle. I love it. Yeah, because I'm very um, interested in the, you know, particularly when I'm looking at business culture, I'm really fascinated by group dynamics and how we, you know, we almost modify our behavior to fit into groups and why that actually happens, you know, and why one team can have a very different sort of fit in culture to another team within the same organization. So, you know, that, yeah, the anthropological sort of approach is, is, where my curiosity is leading me to now so I'm going to start studying in that yeah and I think you know I'm I'm fascinated as well with the broader society community and you know where things like discrimination comes from and racism and and gender inequality and you know Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm really curious about where all of that comes from and and passionate about trying to find ways of being able to uh, stop it, I guess. In, yeah. You know, 
in, in any way I can contribute to stopping it. That, uh, you know, that's where my curiosity is leading me at the moment. I love that. I had no idea that that's where you're going, but that mm. is fantastic. And I love something that you said earlier around, you know, what, what is your real strength is those people, people problem solving. And I think that that is one of the biggest hurdles that we come across today within any organization is that it always, always comes back to the people and the people always come back to the culture and uh, prevention rather than cure. So we're, Yes, prevention rather than cure. So when we can start yeah. getting the right behaviours happening, we can set up some systems and processes for all of those people that are within the organisations that are leading teams. It means that rather than slapping band-aids on things, we're able to actually work cohesively as a team, as an organisation for and to strive for that real excellence. So I love that that's, that's the focus and I can't wait yeah. to see where the anthropology meets corporate because I think that's a huge, uh, that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, an area that's not explored as much as it could be. I find a lot of the time when we're talking about culture in workplaces, it's coming very much from a psychological background. Mm. Um, and sometimes, obviously, the behavioural sciences comes into that as well, but much, still from a psychological background, from an individual background. And, you know, what we know to be true is that we are influenced by the people around us. And mm. You know, that's that's what I'm most curious about, you know, being yeah. um, involved a lot in culture change with organisations. You know, there are definitely levers that you pull that work much better than other levers. And it's like I really want to just dig into and dig underneath it and figure out exactly why it is that lever works better than the other levers. Yeah. What are the cogs that are making those levers? I love that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. We're going to talk again. Oh, yes. <laughs> a bit later. We'll take that offline. That's exactly right. Yes, yes. I'm a bit um, terrified about the uh, the time it's going to take to dive into this extra study, but we'll deal with that when it happens. It's <laughs> amazing elastic. how you can carve. Yeah, you can carve yeah. out time, can't you? Yeah, it's amazing. you'll find some time for what you want to know. Exactly. So I mentioned when we when I first introduced you that we have bonded over Brene Brown's work and. Yes. Tell me about what led you to deep dive uh, into her work and also your experience so far. Yeah, yeah. So um, funnily enough, when I first came across Brene's work, it was back in 2013. So I was sent the, uh, the YouTube clip um, of The Power of Vulnerability, so her yes. very famous TED Talk, which I think at last, when I last looked at it, it's up to 49 million views. It's amazing. On the TED website. Yeah. So it's, I think, one of the top three watched TED Talks of all time. And this, the, the elements that she covers in that TED Talk, and for those that haven't watched it, it very much is about as a individual person, how can we tap into our courage and accept that, you know, part of the process is being vulnerable. And part mm. of the process is a bit gross and horrible. And we just had to sort of work through that. And it was interesting because I watched the, the clip and I really liked what she had to say. And I really appreciated her, her methodology for speaking as well because she's, she's hilarious and she's such a great storyteller. So I really like what you know, this chick's got it going on, you know. Yeah, she's and very yep, funny. She's very funny, absolutely. And, you know, and, and the work that she was doing, I'm like, this is so important. You know, every leader needs this and this is, we need to be building this into organizations, uh, but not for me. 
<laughs> so I, uh, yeah. It's for those other I, people with their for problems. For all of those yeah. other people, that's exactly right, for those people over there. And I think at that time I, I really did reject the work, like I really rejected it for myself. Because I was in a position where I was, I was in a, a very senior human resources role in an organization that was very conservative and I didn't feel safe to be vulnerable. Mm. So I was uh, in a position where I was like, no, that, that vulnerability absolutely needs to be there, but not for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do that. I'm a senior HR manager. I can't, you know, just go and be vulnerable all over the place. It's just, you know, they'll eat me alive. So that was very much where I was at at that uh, point in time. And interestingly, what she says in the the clip is, you know, you don't do vulnerability, vulnerability does you. And Mm -hmm. I think by the end of that year, uh, vulnerability had absolutely done me and done me in. And uh, because I was in this organisation where I wasn't able to be as authentic as I wanted to be. And I was also engaged in a leadership program that was teaching me to be authentic. So I started turning up as my authentic self and was uh, challenging some of the status quo and, and they didn't like it very much. They, they wanted the, you know, the mask wearing, you know, HR manager, Michelle, rather than the true authentic, I'm going to challenge, you know, because like I said, I, I really loved the people problem solving part of it. So I've always been a, a challenger and a, you know, I call myself a four-year-old. I ask why, 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 why all the time, right? And that's just part of who I am. But I recognize that during, you know, some of the last year or so of being in that organization that I let that part of myself go. And then when I started to recapture it again, it, uh, it wasn't appreciated in the place that I was at. Yeah. So I, I felt, you know, ostracized and, and, you know, what I recognize now and on um, reflection, I was being bullied and mm. I didn't recognize it at the time, but it was a real challenging place to be. And of course I was struggling with my identity and all that sort of stuff. So, so going on from there, once that had happened and once that vulnerability had did, you know, did me, <laughs> did me in. <laughs> Thanks vulnerability. Cheers for Thanks, that. vulnerability. I'm like, yep. hmm, might need to go and reconnect with that uh, talk again, Re- rewatch that again. So I did, and then I picked up uh, Brene's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. That oh, was yeah. the, the one that I, I read first. And I had a quite a profound experience with that book, and it really impacted me, you know, to the point where I was listening to it on Audible, going for a walk one day with tears streaming down my face. You know, people probably mm. thought I was absolutely nuts walking along, but you know, I was so impacted by what it had to say um, because it was describing me to a T, you know, the, the elements of perfectionism and the, the, you know, the mask that I was wearing and the, you know, the protective bubble that I'd put around myself. And it also talks then about, you know, you put a, a mask and armor around to protect yourself from the negative feelings you protect yourself from the positive ones as well. Mm, so that true. really just, you know, kicked me in the, you know, where <laughs> quite substantially. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, I need to explore this a little bit more. So I did. So I really started exploring her work a lot more and I started to build parts of it into, you know, the leadership conversations I was having and particularly in the individual coaching. I was like hearing things that people were saying, going, ooh, okay, have you, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? So I really started to dig into it. And then a couple of years later, I, I had the opportunity to go to a half-day workshop with uh, Brene Brown 
counsellor here in uh, in Adelaide. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be good. I'll go in, go along. I love her stuff. And we did this trust exercise where you've probably done this, Ali, where you, you put the people that you trust in a little square. So it's a square of about two centimetres by two centimetres. That's the little square. And you write down the names of the people that, you know, are your people, the ones that you can just go to and, and not think about how you have to turn up. They're just, you know, yeah, they're, they're your, your tribe. people. Yeah. They're your tribe, yeah. And, you know, you maybe put two to five people in this little box because they are the ones that have earned the right to hear your vulnerability stories. Mm. And I was sitting in this workshop and I couldn't think of anyone to put in the box. And I sat oh. there and sat there and sat there and just went, what's going on? Like, why? I've got all these great people in my life. Why am I not showing up and being my full self with these people? Like, what the heck is going on? So consequently, that was another one of those kicks. And, yeah, uh, and what I, a wake-up moment. Amazing. Oh, it was, it was huge. It was really huge for me. Probably one of the most profound points of, you know, my, my journey of self-discovery. And I started working with this counsellor one-on-one and just digging into some of that stuff so I could really understand where this is all coming from. And, you know, a lot of it had stemmed from, you know, that, that period of time through the end of that employment of where I sort of lost my identity and I was trying to rediscover and hadn't quite got there yet Mm. Um, and other stuff obviously that was going on but I was able to dig into it so I was like this is really powerful powerful stuff Mm. so from there I consumed everything that Brene you know produced and I remember when Dare to Lead was just about to come out and I put it on order and I'm thinking this is brilliant finally she's taken all of her work and she's written it for leaders this is bloody awesome you know I can just get into it and uh, yeah so I picked up the book straight away as it came through consumed I think three times within you know three weeks it's binge worthy for sure yeah definitely binge worthy and there was so many great things in it where I was like man this is exactly how I want to be talking with leaders like this is exactly Mm. the kind of material so I had this thought because I have, you know, the lazy girl's approach to life. And I was like, so. <laughs> that your neither- next book? Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I kind of had this thought, okay, so I can embed this work into a leadership program I designed myself. But wouldn't it be great if Brene just came out with a leadership program based on this book that I could just go off and learn with her? And funnily enough, the universe, you know, rises up as it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I got this email through saying, hey, we're going to do this leadership program. We're going to accredit certain people. If you would like to come along, apply now. Yeah. So I went, oh, that's bloody awesome. So so I did that, put my application in, and it was quite an extensive application process and you know, had to pay an upfront fee and all the rest of it non-refundable. And I was like, oh, geez, okay, this is, this is intense. Um, and I was really fortunate to be selected. And and I got to go to San Antonio, Texas and hang out with Brene for three days and learn directly from her the, you know, the research that was embedded underneath and learn the program. And yeah, so I think it's it's been a really interesting long journey with Brene's work and, you know, being able to work through it myself at a personal level first and really connect with the work and know how powerful it really is mm. helps me when I'm um, now doing with the programs because 
I know it works. Like I just know it works. It's not yeah. like I'm just ro rolling out some theory that seems great or, but there's massive amounts of research that sits behind the work that she does and yeah. I've applied it personally and I know it works for me. So it's, yeah, it's really that powerful, powerful work. So that was a very long uh, answer on. <laughs> I mean, we could My, talk about Brené all, all day long, could. really, couldn't we? <laughs> Absolutely, um, yes. But I think there was a really important lesson here, and this is um, a really good one for all of our listeners as well. So I come across leaders as well that are struggling with their identity. You know, you mentioned about the armour. I've experienced that myself where I, you know, literally walked through the door of the office of my team and, you know, suited up, so to speak. Yeah. And one of those things that you said was, around the trust activity that you did and you didn't have anyone to put in there. And I think what we need to remember is that if we don't like it, we can change it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, because the thing is when I do that activity now, I have people that I put in that box Yeah. and those people that are in my little, you know, um, square squad as it's called square squad, Love that. <laughs> my square squad. <laughs> they're the exact same people that were in my life back when I first did that activity. Yeah. So it's not like I gathered a bunch of new people to put into the square. It's just that I changed the perspective that I had and mm -hmm. how I was turning up in the relationships, which meant that they became, or the very least, not necessarily that they became more powerful, but I saw them as more powerful and mm -hmm. I re recognized, you know, the relationship and how important it actually was to me. Yeah. So it, it was a really powerful exercise and, and it really did open my eyes to, you know, that opportunity to, you know, change yourself, to mm. change your external. You know, yeah. and you hear that all the time and all the woo-woo experts tell you that, but, yeah. uh, you know, until you experience it, you're like, yeah, 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 change myself, change the outside, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah. that was a really, really good experience for me to go, yeah, absolutely, because I changed me from the inside out I was able to understand myself more meant that I could actually connect with these people who were already in my life and yeah. it was just recognizing them at a much deeper level and I'm sure you would have brought along a, a, sorry you would have brought a few of them along on the journey as well yeah, of, uh, yeah showing up in a vulnerable way and connecting on that deeper level as well absolutely that's exactly right and I think that's one thing that I've noticed and I've noticed this with leaders particularly in organizations is when they finally do um, tap into that vulnerability and that it's what I call the acceptance mm. of vulnerability, that's really, mm -hmm. I think, the important part of it. They connect with their people and on a much deeper level and they provide an environment then where their people can open up more and yeah. they can be more vulnerable and they actually get more done. They get, you know, because we say that the birthplace of courage is mm -hmm. vulnerability so if we're absolutely. wanting people to step out and challenge the status quo, we're wanting them to be innovative, then they absolutely have to be able to accept that vulnerability is part of that process. And, you know, by the leader demonstrating it in action, it provides almost like a permission for yeah. everybody else around you to do that. So I, I found that myself in my personal life, but also, you know, my work life as well. And I see it with leaders that start doing that um and i think that's a really important part of it yeah yeah it's not just you where the the way the waterfall goes is it flows down into your team and then once it's in your team then you know it starts impacting mm. the organization so there's some absolutely. massive amazing work that can happen in that space and you're right all from the inside outwards yep. uh so one of my favorite things that brene talks brene brown talks about is uh, around empathy mm. so can we talk a little bit about that you know what does empathy mean to you 
Yes, absolutely. I, I, um, I think with empathy, I've, I've learned a lot more about it since, um, since diving into the Dare to Lead work. And I think I'll, I'll give you what I thought it was previously. So okay. previously, because this is a very common thing I hear all the time from people that I thought that empathy was just almost like a sister of sympathy, right? Mm. So it was the same kind of thing. You know, I've got to tap into, you know, all the emotional stuff and I've got to be all soft and fluffy and I've got to be, you know, I've got to give myself over to somebody else and all this sort of stuff. So I, I used to say that I didn't have a, a good level of empathy. Mm-hmm. And when I recognised what empathy actually was, which the way I define it, and this is how Brene defines it as well, is it's feeling with somebody. Yep. So being able to feel with somebody, not feeling the same as them, not, you know, being in the same situation, whatever it is, but it's feeling with them. Mm. I recognise that, oh, okay, I actually do that. I actually do it. And when it was able to be, I guess, broken down more practically for me, then I was more connected with it. And I I find this quite a lot with with leaders and organisations because we all want to be really practical. We want to get stuff done, you know. We want to get on with it and, you know, do we have time for all this fluffy stuff as we, you know, we rudely call it. Yeah. <laughs> but but the reality is, is we've got so much on and, and you know, people, particularly leaders that you find in the Western world, they layer cake themselves with so much busy mm-hmm. that they don't give themselves the opportunity to actually tap into their human feelings. Yeah. So empathy is a really interesting one because, it works alongside of compassion as well, but they're different things. And when we look at empathy, it really is, I don't have to be in the exact same situation with someone, which is one of the myths around empathy is I have to have experienced the situation that they're in to feel for them. So if somebody's lost their father, I haven't lost my father but I have lost. I, I know the feeling of grief. I know the, the feeling of loss and I can tap into that and be with that person in their grief, not in my own. And I think, yeah. you know, I often um, think about empathy as one of those. You have to kind of know where the stop signs are. Mm, because, yeah, explain that. Yeah, because otherwise what I see people and, you know, I, I jokingly call it an over over. Uh, an over overindulged empathy gland <laughs> because there are some empathy gland just, swollen yeah. yeah your empathy <laughs> gland is swollen out of control right now but what I find is that that's that they over empathize with somebody or they over identify with someone and then all of a sudden they're starting to take on the other person's grief they take mm. on the other person's emotion they almost get to that point where they're like, oh, I have to fix this. I have to do something about it. And I think that that's, you, you need to understand that that's their grief. It's not yours. You're not there to fix whatever is, you know, going on with them. Mm-hmm. You're just there to be with them. So that's yeah. where that stop sign gets to. It's like, okay, you know, social distancing, 1.5 metres away of empathy. Right? I'm not going to yeah. sit on top of you and, uh, you know, it's really that just just be there with them without taking their emotion over from them as well. Because I think that's another thing that we can do without really meaning to. And, you know, it's obviously it comes from a really 
good place. We want to be there for somebody. We want to help them. But, you know, Brene calls them the empathy misses. There's a number of, you know, ways that we miss empathy. Yep. And, and one of those ways is trying to fix it. Yeah. And, you know, the reason that we try and do that is because we're trying to, we're essentially avoiding and pushing away the emotion for ourselves. We don't want to feel it. Yep. You know, if you're in grief, that hurts and it hurts me. I don't want to feel grief. I'll push it away. So what can I do to fix it? Yeah. You know, rather than just going, you know, I know loss. I'm here with you. I feel it. You know, what can I do for you? Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's just, just sit with me. Yeah. Let's just talk. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's really interesting. Have okay. you read the book? It's Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. They've written a book called Plan B. Oh, no, it's so on it's my plan list. Plan B or option B? Option, not the option B. I'll add it to my list. Would you recommend it? Yes, it's actually, it's a brilliant book to look at things like grief and emotion and, you know, and empathy in practice because mm. there is, uh, there's one element. It was written just after Sheryl Sandberg. So for those that, you know, live in a bubble, Sheryl Sandberg's the COO of uh, Facebook and oh, yeah. her husband, um, died about three I think maybe three or four years ago now and it was sudden like it was they were on holiday uh, and she yeah and she found him off on the you know he'd fallen off the treadmill he had a heart attack and died instantly oh my goodness. in the gym and that sort of thing so it was a very fit healthy individual and yeah unfortunately she lost him really quite quickly so this book really talks about that process that she was going through. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really stood out for me and I thought was a really, really brilliant empathy in action place mm -hmm. was she turned back up, you know, to work after a period of time and, you know, she was in the, in meetings and whatnot and she got to the end of the day and just thought, she just felt rotten about the whole day. She felt like she wasn't contributing. Her performance was down. It was just awful. And so she spoke to Mark Zuckerberg, who obviously is her manager, direct uh, manager and almost partner in it all. And she said to him, you know, oh, man, maybe I should take more time off. You know, I'm just not here. I can't contribute the way I contributed. I just feel like, you know, I feel like crap. And he had said to her, which I thought this was beautiful. He said, I get that it's hard. I really do get that it's hard. And, and I really appreciate you coming back. And yep, you, you're probably not at 100%, but you actually did contribute in those mm. meetings. You actually gave what you needed to give. And it's okay to feel like you haven't given enough, but you're yeah. here. You're here. Yeah. And I appreciate it. And if there's anything that I can do to help you through that, but I just want you to know that even though you're not at 100%, you still contributed. Yeah. In that. How important is that as a message from your leader? Oh, so good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just was like, this is just beautiful. And that's, that's essentially compassion, which is, you know, empathy in action. Mm. It's the compassion yeah. side of the action. So yeah, it's, it's a good book to have to have a look at and just mm. really dig into. It's quite, you know, whew, you know, get the tissues. <laughs> Gets deep, does it? 
it gets kind of deep. Well, yeah. I'll bump it up the list. But I yeah. think even that's a really important message for right now for leaders and for people we were talking before we started recording around what's happening here in Australia. There are a lot of people doing it really tough and being able to show some compassion that there is a lot going on for different people at different levels uh, as a leader, as yourself, and even giving yourself some compassion. You know, we're going through, literally living through history right now and there is some crazy, crazy things going on. So absolutely, be kind. Really important. Be kind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, self-compassion is, uh, you know, a skill, I think, in Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard somebody say, I can't remember where the quote comes from, but it's essentially, you know, talk to yourself the way you would talk to somebody that you love. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I know that's quite hard for a lot of people. I mean, I've had people break down in tears in workshops when I've actually said that out loud because it's such a foreign thing for a lot of people. We just don't, we don't treat ourselves with that kindness and compassion. And, you know, and right now it is a, a really challenging period of time and everybody's challenged in different ways. Yeah. You know, and, you know, even people who are doing extraordinarily well through this period of time, you know, the, the homeschooling kind of people are going, woohoo, this is great. And, you know, the people who provide online video conferencing are going, yep, this is bloody awesome. You know, they're still going through the emotion of, okay, but I can't connect with my family. I can't connect yeah. with them in the same way. I can't, you know, I've got guilt even around the fact that I'm doing really well and yeah. somebody else is not doing really well. So yeah. we're all going through these crazy emotions and it's almost like a roller coaster ride uh, that everybody's going through and we're all going through individually and collectively. And I think, you know, this is the, the, um, uh, the crossover between that psychological and the anthropological approach yeah. is that, you know, we, we go through things individually and we go through them collectively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if there's, another period of time that was better demonstration of collective vulnerability i don't know what it was <laughs> because yeah. this is this is it uncertainty risk and emotional exposure that's essentially the definition of vulnerability and you know this period of time for the entire world appears yeah. to you know demonstrate that in action yeah it is amazing isn't it so you mentioned just before around uh, empathy is you know one of those human feelings and how it's one of those fluffy skills that you know it gets coined I'm doing inverted commas what are some of the other (laughs) soft skills or the fluffy stuff that leaders you know it's becoming more and more obvious that these types of skills more and more useful in your toolkit and also means that Mm. you're being more effective as a leader so what are some of the other soft skills that leaders need to be learning about yeah yeah I think you know it's really interesting because the term soft skills even I go you know these are the hardest skills to Mm. learn the, the softer, the easy, you know, because I go soft is easy yeah. in my, my, you know, when my brain works, you know, learning how to do Excel, way softer than <laughs> learning how to have really meaningful conversations with people. So I think one of the, the critical aspects for every leader and almost every person, you know, if you want to find leader is um, someone who, you know, who, who turns up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really just turns up and, and does what they need to do. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that's absolutely critical and is done so badly in, in many, many workplaces is uh, giving and receiving feedback. It's mm-hmm. just as simple as that. And I know that, you know, feedback is often used as, you know, an F-bomb 
in most organizations you know as soon as you say feedback people <laughs> imagine you know oh my god i'm going into a room with somebody for an hour and it's going to be this formalized thing and i need to bring somebody and all this sort of uh, junk but yeah. when i talk about feedback it's more about the that more traditional usage of the word, which is I've done something, how can I know whether I've done it right or not? That's and right. how can I then adjust mm-hmm. what I've done? And one of those ways is by, you know, providing observational feedback yeah. to people that you see. Yeah. And really it's about having the skill to give it to a person in a meaningful way yeah. rather than just the you know, criticism or what I call the attaboys, you know, it's like the the attaboy kind of feedback. Good job. Well done. Pat on the back, you know, that sort of thing. They feel nice, but they're really actually quite useless. Which bit? What was good? Yeah, exactly. The whole day? Yeah, what? My outfit? I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did my hair today. What are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, the, the better that leaders and people in general can get at really figuring out what was good about what that person did and why mm. it had the impact it did, mm-hmm. that's much more beneficial than just going, yeah, good job for getting that project over the line. Yep. Okay, thanks for that, but I'm going to have to now figure out what I did yep. and what I can now replicate into the future yep. rather than, you know, great job for making sure that you held your project team accountable. I noticed that you kept the meetings every week you, you know, work towards the milestones, whatever it is. And because of that, the project was successful. Yeah, That's much more meaningful for somebody because, you know, one of our basic human needs is to feel like we're contributing. Mm -hmm. So if we can actually, as, you know, other humans, whether you're a leader with your team or you're a team member with a peer, if we can actually, you know, dig into that and say, this is what I saw was your contribution and how it helped. Yep. That is so powerful for people. Yeah. And then, of course, on the flip opposite, it's this was your contribution and this is how it helped and this is how I think that it could be better. Mm. If yeah. you did this instead or if you did this more or whatever it is, I think you could be better at this yeah. down the track. You know. But, yeah, feedback has just become one of these really sort of scary words, a bit like performance management. It's the same sort of thing. It's become a scary word in organizations. And I think because of that, it means that people just, they're not being held accountable the way they need to. They're not getting the feedback that they need to. And some of us, we can't actually see the outcome of our work. Mm -hmm. I often, you know, say if, you know, if I'm a carpenter and I've got a piece of wood and a nail and a hammer and I nail that piece of wood to the wall that's yep. feedback right and it yep. stays there that's feedback that falls off that's feedback yeah but we don't often get to see that particularly if we're in knowledge work roles yep. mm. so observational feedback is really important in that yep. because we might not see the the telephone call that we've just had with one of our customers and we've solved their problem we might not see the outcome of the problem being solved mm. so we have to get that observational feedback of the way you handled that conversation is so important Uh, Mm -hmm. so I think you know if 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 leaders and managers we'll just pick on them for now if leaders and managers (laughs) it's all on you yeah it will just just pick on you for now could get that skill and get that skill and do it well yeah then that would change organizations across the board because then their team members are learning 
about yeah. how to provide feedback, how mm. to get feedback. The other flip opposite of that and a skill I think that, uh, you know, because we, we quite often talk about this is how to provide, you know, information and feedback back to people. We don't teach people how to receive feedback though. That's right. How often do you give someone even a compliment? They're like, oh, no, no, that's, yeah, you, know, yeah, you need to receive this. Yep. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. We, either way, you know, mm. get lost. Don't tell me nice <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah, don't tell me nice things. Oh, my gosh. You know. <laughs> um, but we, you know, a way that I talk to leaders about receiving feedback because, you know, I've got to, you know, I don't want to insult any, any of my HR cronies, but, you know, there's a few of us in HR from the past have gone, okay, you're doing your performance management conversations. You need to ask for feedback. Yeah. But we don't go on to actually how to do that. So yeah. I quite often find, you know, managers, I'll say to them or leaders, do you ask feedback or how do you ask for feedback? Oh, yes, yes, yes. In our performance conversations, I'll say, do you have any feedback for me? Yeah. And I'm like, well, how does that go for you? Like, oh, you know, most of the time they just don't give me anything or they don't, <laughs> you know, I'm like... <laughs> Is really? Any, oh, that's really? so weird. Yeah. yeah, I'm so surprised. I'm so surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's really, you know, if they can learn how to set up the environment and be a lot more specific in that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm trying to get better at my email communication. And last week I sent out one that was, you know, succinct. What did you think about that? Can you give me some feedback on my email communication? Yeah. People will be more likely to go, oh, okay, yep, I'll talk to you about that. Because yep. it's very specific, whereas that broad question of can you give me some feedback, yep. it's just it's too broad for people to yeah. you know narrow their thinking into one space and come up with something meaningful on the spot. Yeah. So I think yeah. if we can teach both skills, then yeah. we're, we're going to be having much more meaningful outputs and conversations and productivity and better performance overall. That's right. So I, I talk to leaders a lot, leaders and uh, managers who focus on them again around giving and receiving feedback. And one of my, uh, I guess, one of the lessons that I teach those people is, you know, what is it like, what kind of behavior or action or activity do you want your teams to replicate? You know, like, what do you want them to do again? What did they do really well that you want them to do again? Like, that's what you're giving feedback on. And uh, I think that that's one of those mindset shifts for that out. They go, oh, actually, this is the exact thing that I want them to keep doing. And if we have that generous assumption that people are trying to do the right thing and want to do the right thing, and then we're also reinforcing that by saying this was really good, just like keep doing that over and over again or the Mm. next time, it also means that you can be more productive as a manager or as a leader. You're spending a lot less time micromanaging or even performance managing because people know know where they need to focus their energy. Mm. Oh, totally. Totally. I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, reinforcement feedback stuff or conversations that we can have is so much more important. And there's lots of research that is being done, particularly in children now rather mm. than adults. Yep. But a lot of research has been done in how to get children to behave the way you want them to behave, etc., or behave within society norms, etc. And yeah. it's all about reinforcement, you know, catch them yep. in the act of doing something really great and reinforce that. But we yep. don't tend to do that a lot in workplaces. I think we mm. forget that adults are actually just big children. Big children. Yeah. <laughs> They're just yeah, big talk- children. Yeah. We we grow and learn and develop the same way, you know. It's uh it's it's quite interesting. I think, you know, I don't know where our brains go in that that circumstance, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Really we just get better at hiding the emotions. I think, as you know, I've got four young kids and uh, I always yeah. joke when I'm 
working with my leaders, particularly in a group setting, that it's so easy to see the behavior in children in adults now that I've got some of my own examples at home. So they, you know, wear Mm. their emotions, you know, all over their whole body. And you can see the same things happening in adults now. We just get better at hiding it. Yeah, I think you're right. That's, yeah, I reckon that's a really good way of thinking about it because we do. We put that mask on. We put that armour on. We yep. put, you know, whatever we need to. And, and yeah, and if we're all armouring up, then obviously we're not able to have the kind of conversations we'd like to have. Yep. I mean, that is the beauty, i got to say, of kids, you know, when you see them, even when they're in those moments of tantrum and it's just, you know, Whoa! When it's your child, it's atrocious. When it's somebody else's child, it's you know. It's better when it's, it's someone else's child. You're right. Much better. You know, <laughs> you, can, you can just observe it from a distance and go, "Oh, that poor little soul." You know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I used to say when my kids were little, it's you know they've got these big, big emotions and a tiny little body to contain them yeah. in. Yeah. So is it any wonder that they explode out of that? Yeah. And that's you know, if we're we're looking at you know leadership and workforces into the future we need to start with the children that will eventually be into the future you know in the workplaces because I remember years ago when my my kids were going you know what is it that you actually do mum for a job like what are you changing lives yeah this is right you know this is particularly (laughs) when I'm sort of you know I've got my training kit with all you know I've got teddy bears in there and I've got balls and I've got play-doh and I've got all sorts of stuff yours is good yeah do you what do you actually do for a job? And, you know, they were little and I was thinking to myself, okay, how do I explain it to them in a way that they're going to understand it? And I said, oh, well, actually, I, I teach adults how to behave themselves at work. <laughs> and uh, That's gold. That's yes, so true. I remember my daughter saying to me, she's like, oh, it's just like a teacher at school. Mm. Like essentially, yeah, it's a very similar thing, but it's just how can we how can we interact in a better way? But it is really about teaching, you know, teaching adults to behave better at work. That's really what it's okay. all about. Uh, and I do find that sometimes I think, oh man, I feel like I'm teaching people to do stuff that shouldn't. Shouldn't my mum have done this when they were little? <laughs> Sometimes you need that extra reinforcement. Yes, um, yes. So what would be your top five tips for any of those new emerging up and coming leaders and even business owners as well? So what, what's your top five? Yeah, well, I think the, the one that I, I often say I think is just fundamental is just be human first. Yes. Like be human before you're anything else. So be yeah. human before you're an accountant. Be human before you're a change manager. Be human before you're a CEO. Like just be human first. Yeah. Um, and then tap into that. Like what does that mean? How would you prefer to get information? Do you want information about how you're going or how you're not going? Well, most people say yes, yeah. they do. You know, So tap into your humanness and remember that the other person is just a human too. And we're yeah. all fallible, you know, we've all yeah. got fallibilities and we're not always at 100% performance or, you know, pulled together every day. There is days where I go, oh, man, I should not turn up anywhere because, you know, I'm just not in, <laughs> in a fit state to be. It's know, an audio only kind of Zoom It's an day. audio yeah. only kind of day. That's exactly right. <laughs> or it's a maybe I should just pull the doona back over my head and just uh, <laughs> pretend that life isn't isn't here right now and just not fit for for humans but I think recognizing those things in ourselves and others as well that uh, is really important 
which probably brings me to the second one, which is about understanding the differences in people. Mm. That I think is fundamental. And I see so often people judging others from their own paradigm. Yes. Um, you know, I've, I've quite often had uh, debates around the term common sense, you know, oh, ah. they just don't have any common sense. And can you teach common sense? I'm like, well, what is common <laughs> sense? So what is common to you and your upbringing and your family and your culture is not yeah. common to other people's families, up, you know, upbringing yeah. and culture and the way in which they do things. So common sense is not common. It's not a common thing. And it's almost, I find that when people say, oh, you know, they should just have some common sense, yeah. it actually is coming from a really exclusive a non-diverse place you know yeah. it's almost like they've closed down their thinking into this really closed off judgmental place and it's you know you might as well say why can't you act exactly the way I act and turn up all the time yeah you know that, but I'm not going to exactly, tell you that but I'm not going to tell you that because I'm just going to use this term common sense you yeah. know, inverted commas and so it's really about tapping into and understanding each other and that people are very different you know I mean yeah. just the baseline of extroversion, introversion. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed the extremes of that through this, mm. you know, particularly the lockdown period of mm-hmm. COVID, you know, you saw the, the extroverts, they're like scratching at the walls, trying to get out and try to get to people and creating all these Zoom parties and all the rest of it to just have that interaction. And then the introverts, and I'm an, I'm an introvert, so, you know, I can, I can speak with authority about introverts, um, happy to be at home. You know, it's like locking down, not going out this weekend, okay. Yep. You know, work from home, okay, sounds great yep. to me. You know, all of a sudden I've got focus time and, and energy. So just those kind of differences in how people turn up, the backgrounds that we have, the cultures that we have, the, you know, we didn't all grow up the same way. We yeah, don't all, all have, conditioning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We don't have the same definitions of respect. You know, we don't have the same definitions of collaboration. We don't have the same definitions of whatever else. You know, we just don't have the same definitions. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really important thing. And, and, you know, for me, that's almost a fundamental element mm. to it. Mm. Probably I'm just having a look at my notes here to see what else I'd, I'd written down <laughs> there. Holding people accountable. Yeah. That's another one. Um, And the reason I say that is because I see it missing so often. And without, I think, without a word of a lie, every single conversation I have with an organisation about leadership programming or um, values or culture, whatever it is, and I'll ask them, what what would you like to, you know, your people to learn? What would you like to see more of? Accountability. Yeah. Either self-accountability or holding others accountable. Yeah. And I really, I think this one goes back to that, that feeling of, you know, that feedback is something, you know, some, some sort of dirty word or performance mm-hmm. management is scary and we can't go into that. And it's like, well, my role is to actually make sure that you are able to do your job in the best yeah. possible way you can do it. Yeah. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that. So if you promise me that you're going to do something on Thursday, it's not mean to say, hey, you haven't delivered that thing on Thursday. We need to have a talk about why that happened. Yeah. That's not mean. No, <laughs> you that's know? doing it's, your job. Yeah. That's doing your job. That's yeah. right. And it doesn't have to be a criticism. It can just be a conversation. But we still have to hold people accountable. You know, people make decisions. We are allowed to hold them accountable for those decisions that they make. 
you know, and and it doesn't mean that you don't understand the decision. You know, I had a a client earlier this week cancel a um, a, a half-day workshop last minute. And I, yeah, I know. But and I under, completely understood what was going on because yeah. you know they've got a lot on in their workplace. Understand that, and I held him accountable for it. Mm. You know, let's let's talk about how we can you know not do this in the future. This seems to be a bit of a pattern that's developing. What's going on there? How can I? How can we help so that this doesn't have to happen into the mm. future? You know, mm. this is the impact of what that that is, you know on your program as well as on our time. So. You know, it, it's not mean to hold people accountable. It's just part of your job. Yep. I part love of that. your job. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the other ones, so what are we up to? Isn't that number that three? Was num- that was number three. Yep. <laughs> That's number three. Okay. Number four then would be about acknowledging fears and feelings. Oh, in that workplace. is a beauty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, work through change. And we find that, you know, one of the things that we don't see a lot of is mm. people actually acknowledging that you know what, we're changing something. That means I have to let go of something, which means mm-hmm. I'm going through grief. Yep. You know, it might not look the same as grief that is expressed at a uh, funeral, but it's still grief. It's yep. still, I have to let go of something. I actually have to accept that I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I haven't quite come to terms with the benefit of doing ABC instead, yep. you yep. know? So really acknowledging those fears and feelings is essential. Yeah. Um, people going through their career changes in life as well. I've just gone into a new job. You know, I've yeah. just I've just started doing a new project. I've just taken on a new type of role. It's terrifying to yeah. do that because you think, oh my god, what's going to happen? Uh, particularly if you've got a blame culture in place as well, oh, yeah. which a lot yeah. of organisations do. So you know, having that fear, having the fear of just not doing a process that seems stupid, you know, yeah. and it's like, well, am I going to challenge that? No, I'm not. I'm just going to do the stupid process instead. Yeah. It's just the way we so do things. Yeah. It is. We've always done do it that way. It's just our way. Totally. That's yeah. exactly right. Way so being stupid. able to, <laughs> that's right. It's a stupid way that we do it, but we're doing it. <laughs> we're going to continue doing the stupid. But yeah. Um, yeah, just being able to acknowledge that everybody's got these fears and these feelings and I think one of the things that, that Brene says when she's talking about shame particularly is we all have it and if mm. we don't have it, so the only people that don't have these kind of feelings are sociopaths. Mm. So it's either have mm. the feeling, accept and acknowledge that you've got the feeling or accept that you're a sociopath. So, you know, which one do you actually want? <laughs> which one do you want? That is which a good life lesson. Which one do yeah. you want? <laughs> Hmm, do I want to be a sociopath? No, I don't. So therefore, I'm going to have to acknowledge that. You know, I'm human and we have feelings and others do too. And if somebody's throwing a tantrum in the workplace, it's because they have feelings, big yeah. feelings, little body. <laughs> and they're not sure how to get them out yet before they yeah, can bust. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I think just a, um, a side note on that one as well, because one of, one of the things that, you know, because we do talk about these fears and feelings and you talk about them a lot in your work as well. Yeah, yeah. Is um, the manager having the misunderstanding that they have to fix the fears and feelings. Oh, yes. That they almost have to be a counsellor for people. It's yeah. like, I don't understand what to do. You know, what yeah. if they're crying, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, and that for me just goes right back to that conversation we had about empathy. Yep. It's, re- it's about tapping into empathy and being there for them. It's not about fixing their problems. Yep. And if it gets to a point where you go, oh, this is a bit much for me, 
yeah. is also acknowledging that this is too much for me and here is a support mechanism that you can go to that yeah. where you can actually explore that further. But yeah. I think there's a bit of a fear in managers that if I start talking about feelings, mm. then I'm going to get to a place where I just I don't have the skills to be able to deal with it. Yeah. You don't have to deal with it. And I think yeah. if that message can get out to managers, you are not a counsellor. And yeah. there is no expectation that you're going to be a counsellor. Yeah. But the expectation is that you empathise with the person and you support them to go get some help if they need help. That's really the job. Yep, totally agree. So when the, yeah, one of the biggest fears that of the leaders that I talk with around courageous conversations is that someone's going to cry. And I'm like, mm. here you go, they are more than likely going to cry. Like just get that, just, get that yeah. over with uh, to start with and just make sure the environment's set up so that when they are crying that you're able to show compassion show empathy, have tissues on hand because it's it's going to happen. Expect that it's going to happen and it's a beautiful release for some people to be able to have all that pent-up emotion. You know, what did you say? Big emotions, little bodies. We yeah. have these big emotions and one of the best ways that we can release them is by crying and then that's mm -hmm. when we can sort of, you know, get over that the gap and bridge the gap into uh, the next stage. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find that's um, a, a gender thing as well, that men are much more fearful about that? Uh, I haven't I haven't found that to be true mm. yet I also haven't looked into it that way either yeah. but yeah there could could be something behind that's worth looking into yeah like, yeah I, I mean, mean I'm, probably yeah, yeah. also on the reverse as well I've had uh, female leaders who are worried about the men that cry I'm not sure what to do mm. in that mm. instance as well so I think we yeah. probably just as a society have a fear of crying being yeah, making think, yeah, someone cry right. or people crying in front of us yeah. and, and not knowing how to support them through that way absolutely that's exactly right and it's almost like you know i heard you just said make someone cry and i think you know it's interesting i think that's the fear that is, is that yeah. we have made someone cry and it's like no they are crying yeah and you have because to be of there. this you happen yeah. to be there the circumstances or whatever and the words and how they process is you know making them cry that's not, their own stuff yep. yeah that's right so it's really interesting i do i do wonder about the crossing the the gender divide mm. whether mm. that is you know part of it because i I had a, a conversation, oh, I've had a few of them with male managers, particularly where they're like, oh, I've tried to have, you know, conversations and performance management conversations with this female employee, but then she'll cry and then we, we just like close down the meeting and then, you know, yeah. it's a month later and she's still not doing what she needs to do. So we have yeah. another meeting and then she yeah. cries and we close down the meeting and, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I had the same conversation. She's going to cry. Mm. Yeah. probably just part of her process and i wonder if that's more to do and we're going completely off topic around our gender gap and who like what's the proportion of males in a leadership role that are having to have those conversations versus you know there'd be so many different yeah, aspects yeah. aspects and variables so. to which cohort we're talking about but oh yeah totally totally yeah. i think that's a really big subject matter as well in that you know that it's part of the process Acknowledge fears and feelings. It's just yep. part of the process. I love that. I love yep. that. So yep. good. And then I think and I've got, have I got one more? Lucky last, number five. Lucky last. Okay, so this is probably the important one, particularly right now. It's as a leader, as a manager, you need to take time for you. Oh, yeah. You need to be self-compassionate. You need to develop your own resilience. Mm -hmm. And the way I often um, think about this myself, because I'm very visual, is that if I've got an empty cup because mm -hmm. I haven't refilled my water cup mm -hmm. and somebody thirsty comes to me I've got nothing yep. to give them yep that's I've right nothing to give I've got nothing to give myself but I've got nothing to give others 
And the reason that visually uh, comes to me is because a lot of the time I find when I say to somebody, and look, I'm a fantastic advocate for self-care. I'm a shocking role model. So no. just, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> but when we have conversations around this, you know, developing your own self-care and resilience and, and filling up your own water cup first, a lot of the time it's, oh, no, I can't. I don't have the time because I'm serving somebody else or I'm doing for my children or I'm, you know, doing for my wife, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, this is, you know, I'm giving, giving, giving. I've got my yeah. clients. I've got my, you know, I can't give to myself. So, yeah. you know, when I think about it that way, because I fall into that, that trap a little bit myself yeah. sometimes mm. in that if I don't refill my cup, when that mm -hmm. thirsty person comes to me, I've got nothing for them. So yeah. I have to have my cup at least have a little bit in yeah. it so that I do have something to give. Yeah. I was working with a relatively new leader recently and he was like, you know, how am I meant to do all of my like business as usual stuff and have empathy and be supportive and come up with performance development plans yeah. and do this. And, you know, my staff really need me right now and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you doing anything for yourself? And he's like, I don't have time for that. I'm like, yes. okay, all right, let's just, you know, we'll work backwards here. And what you really need to be looking at is where, where there's some time where you can actually refill your own cup exactly the same idea Absolutely. because you're going to be useless to your team in a few weeks if um if you don't turn that around and he was like yeah are you sure and I'm like yes <laughs> I'm yes. sure yes. that this is an important one for right Absolutely. now yeah it's really interesting as well because I, I hear that quite a bit too and it's almost like these you know the feelings are something separate from the action of work yeah and it's like no actually you're like, doing your work it. yeah you're just overlaying it with this different way of talking instead of yeah. going go forth and do yeah you know, yep. hey, have you thought of? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just flipping flipping language, flipping thinking, et cetera, and building it into your day-to-day -day activities rather than having it completely separate from such an interesting concept. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for coming on today, Michelle. I've absolutely loved chatting with you, and I know that you and I could do this for the whole day, and I'm sure yeah. at one stage in the future we probably will. But where yeah, can people find you? Yeah, so um, you can get on to synergyiq, all one word, dot yep. com dot au. That's Beautiful. our website. And uh, there's contact us, you know, emails, etc. I hang out on Instagram and also on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So just look yep. for Michelle T. Holland. If you put Michelle T. Holland, it'll come up straight away. Awesome. Um, that's my that's my author name. <laughs> so uh -huh, your author name. We'll put the links yeah. to your books as well in the show. Oh, that notes would be too. great. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. So connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I really I'm on there more than I'm anywhere else. Yeah. On LinkedIn, but yeah, Instagram is um, what's my Instagram? I think it's at Michelle T Holland as well. I don't think so, I follow you on on Instagram. I have to sort that out. There you go. There we go. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much of your wisdom. I've absolutely loved this and I'm sure leaders who are listening and even anyone who is listening is going to get so many valuable takeaways from this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Ali. And I, I would say the same for you as well. I mean, the, the courageous conversations that you have with people as well as help them to have with others is so critical in, uh, in today's society. So well done. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll conquer the world together. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com 
www.ruby.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, ali.madeformore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.